I'm Casey T. Welcome to Going Up North, the podcast where I take interesting people out on the lake to try their hand at a family tradition, spearfishing. While we wait the hours for the opportunity to spear a northern, we'll shoot the shit, have some laughs, tell our stories, and hopefully go home with one in the bag. This week, in the sixth episode but, of season know, two, I was catching up with an old teacher of mine, and it was an intense morning. So to get to the rest of the story, we're going to pick up right where we left off with what I think is an important point. To, to just do my job, because that's, you know, the fact I'm trans has absolutely nothing to do with my love of English and language and writing and and my ability to teach that so but in a northern conservative community like this you know you bring up guns and so I think what and the only reason I make this connection is because I've been publishing you know we talked earlier about my novel and my collection of short fiction and stuff. I've never made any money. I don't have a following. I don't have, you know, sure. I don't have reading groupies. I don't have people that, you know, outside of a handful of people who probably read everything I write, most of whom are in my family, people don't know me as a writer, really. And, um, I've never had anybody, I've never had a student or a parent comment on any of my poetry or any of my fiction. Well, that's not true. I guess when my stuff came out, I would have people say, oh, I, you, you wrote that out the summer and stuff. Mm. Like, especially my poetry, no one's ever known anything. Well, I, like you, I created this website on Squarespace and sort of, you know, if you want to be a <clears throat> professional writer, you have to have a professional presence. And, mm-hmm. and so I created this website for myself, and it had links to, to all of my recent poems that have been published, and that, that poem confessional was on there. And so, long story short, what I think what happened is people started Googling me mm-hmm. um, because of the Parkland thing and, and that fallout. And then somebody came across uh, confessional or the link to it off my Facebook or my website or something. And then, you know, it's 2018, so it went out like wildfire. And people started sharing it with each other. And kids started sharing it with each other. And the next thing you know, I'm being investigated by the state of Minnesota, the licensing board for child abuse, child neglect, theft, um, vandalism, animal cruelty, and drug use. And, <laughs> I mean, take it out of context, I would, I would imagine the, if I were sitting on the licensing board, I would, I would investigate a teacher too, but the context of all of those things where they were things that I wrote about in a poem that spans the nearly 50 decades of my life and you can't take those things out of context but I think people wanted to and and um, so this past last spring was really really bad I, I I started I was under investigation by the school district but the school district wouldn't work 
with me. They wouldn't meet with me because they were in the middle of the investigation and they kept getting more complaints. So I just wanted to meet and tell my side of the story. Well, they had forwarded it onto the state licensing board to let them decide before the... Uh, I got a letter on my... No, it was postdated my birthday. Jeez. But I got it on the 20th of May saying, this is the state licensing board, we are investigating you for these, you know, crimes or whatever, your license is at stake. And when I received that letter, I hadn't even talked to the school district yet. So the school district made the decision to forward the complaints to the state before they ever even finished the investigation and talked to me. So I thought the whole thing was kangaroo court, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I went into the summer and I didn't know if I was going to lose my 20-year career and my teaching light. You know, if I lost my license, not only would I lose my job in Bemidji, but I wouldn't be able to teach anywhere in the state of Minnesota. Right. And so that hung over my head uh, all summer. And I had a lawyer, a union lawyer down through uh, Minneapolis that helped me out with it and union rep up here for northern minnesota that was real helpful and tons of people wrote letters of support yeah over 120 pages uh, of letters of support from former students and um, my daughters my ex-wife colleagues uh, roller derby teammates like everybody came to my came to my aid and, uh, so it was like over 120 pages of support versus like 30 parent complaints hmm. and uh, I was vindicated I got a one sentence letter right before Labor Day weekend saying the state is taking no action against your license so I mean like what are they how can they what, what, what are they even gonna like you know what I mean like what are they, I, I know that poem like what are they gonna how can they you know, investigate, investigate something fucking 20 years, you know, like... <laughs> like when I was 10, I shot a frog with a BB gun. How do you investigate that? Right. And tell me you haven't fucking done it either. Like... <laughs> well, and the, the, the scariest thing is, to me, nobody gave a shit that I shot a frog with a BB gun when I was 10. That's what they said they cared about, but... What they cared about in that poem was the fact that I admitted giving somebody a blowjob in a in a hotel, or that I went down on you know a woman at Pride Festival. But interestingly, not a single complaint, and not a even the state licensing board. None of the the what I thought was the really salacious, yeah, part, or yeah. courageous, like it. What I was trying to do is just say, you know, we all have shit that we do in life that sticks with us, and and we tend to hold it pretty close to the vest. And you know, my confessional poetry is is supposed to reveal that aspect of our humanity and that aspect of self concept. And there's a long history of it. I'm certainly not the first person to do it. No. But in order to do it well and in order to do it right, you have to be willing to take risks. And the magazine where it got published was a magazine that publishes 
autobiographical confessional poetry from women. So it 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 was targeted to a very specific audience anyway. Mm. And um I couldn't have done it well without being really honest. So I wanted to, things that I've felt bad about or guilty about or questioned and from all time periods of my life from both genders and in all aspects and but the the thing was it was just so obvious it was it was because of the sexual stuff that people got all in a tizzy mm-hmm. but no one wants to be accused of you know I I got to read all the letters of complaint that were filed against me they were all redacted so I couldn't see who wrote them of course but like almost to a T everyone started uh, I want you to know this has nothing to do with um, the fact that Miss Bernard is transgender or I have nothing against people who are homosexual you know and then it would just go into what a horrible example I was for children and all this and I'm like well which is it <laughs> is it that or is it that let's be honest about it but yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't ever investigated, at least on the surface, for any of the sexual stuff. It was it was animal cruelty and vandalism, and <laughs> shit like that. So, but you know the psychological cost of of that. I, you know, I was under that umbrella. Admittedly, maybe some of which was self-caused by stepping in front of that that issue with the Parkland shooting, but it spun out of control so fast. And and then it was like PTSD, you know, it was like having to go into school and work every day. And right. Kids were creating memes about me, and there was a, uh, like an Instagram account that was created that was anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-immigrant, anti-Hillary Clinton, just like just all this ugly stuff, but I was kind of the center of that. Um, I had <clears throat> students secretly uh, taping me in class um, and then bringing it home and having their parents um, take it out of context. Like, in ninth grade, we read Of Mice and Men, and I like to read the book. I always have read it out loud so I do all the voices I mm -hmm. do Lenny and I do George and I do Candy and um, kid recorded me when I was being Candy and of course the n-word is used in mm -hmm. that book repeatedly so when I'm reading it I don't edit I don't censor that I, I read it because I'm just quoting from the book and the character's voice well they took me saying the n-word and they took like a 10 second, 15 second clip of that, no context, and sent it to the principal saying, oh, you gotta be kidding. yeah, and a secret recording of me in class. And then mom, the kid brought it home and mom took a video clip of it, or an audio clip of it, and sent it to the principal saying, this is, this is another reason that, you know, he, she, it should be fired. I had that going on. I had a kid that I hadn't even had in class yet. I was set to have him fourth term, world lit. He went down to the newspaper, like 
two weeks before fourth term started. And a uh, 17, 18-year-old kid walked into the Bemidji Pioneer, demanded to see the editor, and demanded that they write an expose on me. For what? For all of this, like, to get me fired, like, to ramp up all this stuff, all this hatred, you know, to get the, the pitchforks all aligned. And the editor and the reporter... You know, to their credit, they were like, listen, Junior, it's <laughs> not the way it works, you know. We'll decide whether or not something's newsworthy and, and you know. Right. Who are you? Right. Did and you have a but, note from your parents? Oh, my God. Well, and I think I'm sure the, the parents were the one who sent him down there. But, but then they called me, you know, and they were like, well, maybe this is newsworthy. You know? <laughs> like, did you know you have this kid down here? But that's the sort of stuff, and... I just over the, yeah, I lost like 50 pounds and Christ. And I had got off my, you know, kind of mistakenly believed that all of my mental health issues were because of my being transsexual and that when I took care of that 10 years ago, that I kind of took care of my mental illness and so I, had stopped going to therapy and wasn't taking my meds anymore. And just this past year, I just spiraled into like massive, massive depression and um, generalized anxiety, and it was bad. It was bad. And so, you know, by the time. August rolls around and I get vindicated. That's great and everything, but I've been under this cloud of suspicion since January. And it's not like you receive a letter in the mail and you're like, oh, okay, everything's fine, you know? It's like my head was so fucked up mm -hmm. that this fall I needed to get it straightened out, so I spent some time in some hospitals this fall getting getting better I guess I don't know half hour ago I started babbling on about this but I, my ultimate point is I felt like I was under attack and most of the attention I was receiving was was so negative that when you emailed me and came up with this idea to come do this I was like you know, this is a fucking universe given me an opportunity to do something really cool and just opening my eyes to the fact that life isn't just shit yeah that's a tough one sometimes because you get to the point where you don't trust anybody you don't want to put yourself out there I mean I got to the point where I got my way through the school day Casey and then I I'd be, you know, we have to be there till 3.35. By 3.45, I'd be at home, doors locked, uh, shades shut, in my pajamas by 3.45, 4 o'clock. And I would just hide in my house until the alarm went off the next day, get up, got through another day at school, and then on the weekend, as soon as Friday afternoon rolled around, 
barely leave my house all weekend, you know. And your world gets really, really fucking small. And when you're the only person you're listening to is that voice in your head. That's not always your friend either. Oh my God, not not at all. Well put. And so I was listening to that shit. Like I say, I wasn't doing any therapy. I wasn't on my meds. And so when you're dealing with, you know, some lifelong depressive tendencies anyway, yeah, my voice, my voice is not, oftentimes not to be trusted, not very positive. And then you just kind of circle into the drain, you know self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever right right every interaction's negative yep you set yourself up for only seeing it one way and you know that's brain chemistry and that's that's genetics and that's you know not being on meds there's a lot of reasons for that that people don't understand and the weird thing is you know when I'm on my meds and I'm taking care, I'm doing my self-care stuff. I can tell the difference and I think clearer and I'm able to see more positively. But the irony is then you start to think, hey, I'm, I'm doing really well. I don't need to do this shit. Right. And then when you get off your meds and you stop with the therapy, that clarity goes away and you can't, you don't realize how fucked up your thinking is even though it's fucked up i mean you're you're depressed you're in anguish but you know, you think the easiest thing in the world to do would be like fuck i should call my therapist or i should get back on prozac or, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't right and uh and it just it it took me took me Like, I had a, my first suicide attempt this fall, and I ended up, ended up uh, missing pretty much most of September and the first part of October uh, of the school year, because I was, I was hospitalized for that. And I'd had suicide ideation before, but, I mean, I'd, and I think back now, even now, just in December, and just how unclear I was thinking or how bad things had got where I couldn't see. I just couldn't see. It just, everything felt pointless. And that's scary. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm trying to, one of the things I'm trying to do is, is you know, not time travel, not worry about my past or my future just like stay in the moment and say yes to one of the things I notice with my depression is I end up saying no like I say no a lot and my world gets really really small when I say no and it's comfortable yeah it's easy it's safe totally safe exactly yeah yep yeah and so when when your email came across I was you know you were wondering how I'd respond or how people were going to respond when you did it. I'm not going to lie. My my initial response was, "What do I want to like? I haven't seen Casey in a long time, and, and 
God, I'm just having such a shit year, and it'd just be easier to say, hey, man, that sounds really cool. And But I was at that place where I'd been getting a little healthier and and trying to get my world a little bigger. And so it wasn't like I had to force myself, but it was pretty pretty quick. I was like, I think I responded the same day. I was yeah. like, no, I'm going to say yes to this. This is something I've always wanted to do anyway. And and um, and I remember having good interactions with you in school. And, and so I was like, let's say yes. Let's do this. What a way to kick off my my winter break so yeah so again thank you very thank much. you i'm yeah yeah that's yeah i mean i don't know what the fuck am i gonna say about it but it's fucking that's crazy dude like <clears throat> that's what the fuck i think like you say you uh do something without thinking and all of a sudden it just fucking goes crazy it snowballs and you know one should have very little to do with the other Right, but it... Yeah. But it does. People make right. those connections. And like you were saying, I noticed a long time ago when people say, I don't mean to, or not to be, well, the next thing that comes out of their fucking your... mouth is going to be, I don't mean to be a bitch, but what I'm going to say <laughs> is going to be real bitchy. Yep. You know, or like... <laughs> yeah, anytime anybody starts with that, I'm not a, I don't mean to be... Don't take this. It's like, okay, what's the very next thing out of your mouth going to be? Some fucking hateful dribble. <laughs> Some hateful, hateful. And, the, you know, the the reality is I, with especially with confessional poetry, you are putting yourself out there. So I understand that, you know, if I didn't want anybody to know any of this shit, I could have, like all most of us usually do, I could have just shut my mouth and not said anything. So... The reality is, I mean, if you want to trace it back to cause and effect, I caused the turmoil because I wrote the poem and then right. not only wrote it, but was like, hey, I think this is pretty good. I want to try to get this published and then put it out into the world. And I did, you right. know? So right. that... And that I, in and of itself is, like, a huge sacrifice. You know what I mean? Like, that's not an easy thing to confront f for yourself. Yeah. And so to provide an audience with the catharsis necessary for that, that's in and of itself. Like, you are giving a huge amount of, like, emotional, I don't know, whatever, you know, uh, investment into it that... Yeah. Well, and so I, you know, the legend of Dr. Faustus, right? Like, mm -hmm. be careful what you wish for. I, It's not like I want to know what's in everybody's heart. But the reality is we're all, we all hold on to shit and and we all mull over it, and we all regret it, and we all let it control us in some ways. And people might not have done the specific things that I did, that I wrote about in the poem, but I've, I can't tell you the number of people who have told me, 
that's no worse than some of the shit I've done, or oh. I've done things like that, very yeah. similar. Or, yeah, it, yeah, it's relatable for right. sure, absolutely. And that's yeah. what I was. My my whole point wasn't to be necessarily salacious, but it was just to say, you know, we hold on to this stuff. It 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 defines the actions themselves. Don't define us as much as like how we hold on to it and and like not letting shit go i mean if i'm big and small you know Mm -hmm. if i'm holding on to things that i did when i was 10 and i'm 48 you know when i wrote the poem how fucking healthy is that oh there's a perch he's kind of under oh i see what you're saying they're very hard to see yeah he's just a little guy oh there's another one he's not even moving Oh, yeah. Kind of between those weeds. Yeah, they are hard to see for sure. Um, but that was my whole point in writing the poem. Just like, I need to let some of this shit go. And nothing in that poem makes me a bad person. No. You know? there's no. And that's the irony is these are all these things that I feel bad about or have stored in my long-term memory. And... I stole the Susan B. Anthony, you know, that was one of those life things. I stole that Susan B. Anthony dollar. And my dad, when I got home, it fell out of my pocket when I was changing into my pajamas. And my parents were like, where in the hell did you get that? We don't give you coins like that. I had to own up. Like, I took it from my Boy Scout, you know, my brother's Boy Scout leader when we went to pick him up. My dad put me in the car with the dollar in my sweaty little hand and he drove me the 18 miles back into Brainerd and I had to go up the sidewalk and ring the doorbell and tell the Boy Scout leader who I was and why I was standing there. I mean, that's something, that's a life lesson that I have never forgot. Right. And that's a, you know, taking the the dollar wasn't a, a good thing but the lesson i learned about honesty and, and and owning up to your shit and and just the guilt and the you know it like it made a lasting impression mm-hmm. good and bad right so that's something that you know and when you when you write you want to be as honest as possible so i was just trying to get in touch with with some of that and and uh, again, this year's been this year's been rough. So you know, part of part of it was like a catharsis. It was like when all your thoughts about yourself are bad. You know, it's real easy to kind of spiral into that. Right. And so I was just trying to I was trying to do something positive with it. You know, most and the the funny thing is. Like I say, I've had some success getting individual poems published, but this year I have two books of poetry coming out, and almost all of it's really, really confessional, kind of honest stuff about, you know, what it means to be me, and and I don't think that's accidental at all. I, I think taking those risks and those chances and being willing to, to open myself up 
has produced stronger art than maybe I was in the past. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of the poem. Yeah, I fuck them. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah, fuck them and feed them fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just like this makes sense because like I whatever googled you at one point and that was like the top hit and i was like that's dope like that's an awesome poem mm-hmm. but now it makes now sense. you see why it's the top <laughs> yeah like uh when i was defending myself against the losing my teaching license the uh the lawyer that i had got permission got permission from me to to talk to the editors of the magazine mm-hmm. where it got published and they wanted to know if there was a, a correlation between the parkland thing and like they were just the attorney was trying to see if there was and the interesting thing was is after the star tribune article came out about the parkland thing and the 17 minutes of silence within the next week there was a spike at that magazine, almost all from Minnesota, <laughs> like people, and that's exactly when all of the the complaints, complaints and, shit, and everything yeah. started. So it just became, you know, no one, again, no one know, knows me as a poet, and I, I can guarantee you, nobody in Bemidji, Minnesota, knows of Hunger Magazine, which is where it was published. But isn't it interesting that? A week after they write about me in the Star Tribune, the hunger gets this huge spike from servers or whatever in Minnesota. Right. So it it certainly seems as if that was the, the root cause. And then, you know, I think there's just a... There's like this Minnesota nice factor where I've been left to do my job, but the reality is... People aren't really all that cool with a, a trans person yet. And so right. maybe I've just been flying under the radar because I hadn't drawn any attention to myself. But all this showed me is... How know, thin the veneer is. Oh, yeah, it's very thin, you know. And all it takes is, you know, you pop your head up for a moment and people will... Weird... Right, exactly, yeah. There's an aspect of honesty that, like, I, my life, and it was self-preservation. I am part of figuring out who I am is being able to forgive who I am. and, And I just, I know that I lived so many years of my early life, and even up till you know, when you graduated was the two-year period where everything kind of fully came out to light. But I'd been I'd been in therapy for um, my gender identity since 2000. So that that whole period when you were in middle school and high school, nobody knew what I was going through. I take a day off of work and I'd get up at 8 in the morning and I'd drive 4 hours down to the cities for a 1 hour appointment at the University of Minnesota get back in my car and drive 4 hours back to Bemidji so I could be back to work the next day I did that for goddamn almost 
10 years. And uh, the only people who knew what I was going through were my wife and um, like my siblings and my parents. And that circle got a little, little larger as years went on, but my life was pretty much secret and false. And so as much as, you know, this last year has been kind of painful, at least it's honest. And does that feel good? It does. It does. Like there's not the the freedom. There's not. For example, because I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about in the spearhouse. Um, but you had kind of indicated that you wanted to give voice to various stories, and I was like, I'm sure at least partly this is going to revolve around. Um, you know, my my gender identity and stuff because I knew you before and here I am after and I didn't know if it would have anything to do with my writing or whatnot, but since you had contacted me through the Squarespace stuff, I was like, well, I, he's probably at least read some of my stuff. But as, as much shit as I've gone through this year with the community, with certain members of the community, at least it's all on the table. And that's how it should be. And so there's nothing I can, I was thinking that, there's nothing I can say in the Spear House that, you know, I wouldn't, there's nothing I'm going to feel embarrassed about. or right. And that's a, that's a really you know that's freeing especially to um, someone who has spent a, a large part of her life not doing that you know like 15 years ago you know let's say you had asked me to to do this in in the winter of 2007 or whatever you know before everything fell apart i probably would have said yes because i'd be like yeah got casey in class cool kid I like what he's trying to do here. But I would have sat in this spear house and I would have lied to you all day. I would have talked about and around everything. And I would have tried to sound intelligent and compassionate and empathetic about things, but you could have sat here and recorded me for 14 hours and you'd have no fucking idea who I was. Right. And I was that good at it. I mean, nobody knew. But I knew. And that's what that poem was about. And that's what a lot of my poetry is about, is just speaking my truth and not being ashamed. You know, that shame is such a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have anything to be ashamed of. There's, you know, like you say, when, when did you decide you were gay? When did I... I didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I would like to be transgender. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Just like, when did you wake up and say, today I will be a boy? Or like you were saying earlier, today I, I will like dudes or I will like girls or 
That's not the way the human brain works. No. And so I have no idea why I'm trans. All I know is I've been trans as long as I can remember. I, I was trans before I even knew what trans was. I mean, that's the really fucked up thing. Imagine trying to figure out who you are when you don't even have the vocabulary, the verbiage. I remember that, I mean, I might not remember the article in the Star Tribune about Bemidji, but I remember, like, they had a walkout in St. Peter, mm-hmm. and Erica was, like, totally in support of it or whatever, but she's like, it's just like anything, there's kids that are, like, you know, convicted and believe, and then there's kids that are like, yeah, I get to skip class for 17 minutes. Yep. And, you know, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I feel like if I was, if it would have been us, like, we would have just said, fuck you, and left, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to participate, like, you can write us up or whatever, but... Right. We're going to go. That's what I found interesting. Like you say, I have a feeling if it had been sanctioned during the school day, they would have got a lot more kids out, but you wouldn't have known whether or not they were there just to get out of class. So I feel like the... Well, you would have been able to tell they would have the ones like running around fucking having a dip and playing grab ass. But the 60 that came out in the morning... It, at least it felt honest. Like, yeah, those people wanted to be there. They wouldn't, you know. They, they had to make an effort. Right. They weren't missing anything. They actually had to come early, so it was fine. And then, likewise, the 60 kids who got up and left during the school day, even though they might have got detention, there was... There were no adults out there, so they weren't doing... I mean, I suppose they could have been doing it to get out of class, but that seems like a lot of work to stand out in the right. fucking cold for 17 minutes. So I think in the end, you know, even if there was only 120 kids total that participated, at least it was, you know, about 10% of the school. That, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's just such a... I mean, I was in, like, middle school when Columbine happened, right? So Yeah. And, like, that was, like, a pervasive fear even, I remember being a kid. Not, probably not as much now, right? But it was always talked about as, like, a thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like. And then I was in fucking 11th grade when Red Lake happened. Yep. 2005? Was that 2005? Yeah, because I remember I was in Mr. Bryant's class. (sighs) A, A push. So, yeah. And then just think about how many others have happened. Oh, like, yeah. You and then, it, and then, it, and then, like, when you're in college, you hear more about the college shit, you know. Yep. And it's like Virginia Tech yeah. or whatever. All it's like. <sighs> now it's like if you go to a club or if you go oh, to a concert, yeah. it's like it's anywhere. I keep waiting for it to break guess, out at a football game right. or something. You know, we'll have a we'll have a fire drill, and I think that all the time. You know, everybody mm-hmm. has to pile outside and stand in the grass on the other side of the pavement it's like i'm sure it's just a fire drill right especially when they're when you know administration is like hey we're gonna have a fire drill on wednesday at 145 then you know but when you're sitting there at 10 in the morning right and all of a sudden it goes off and it wasn't planned there's always we talk about this at lunch all the time there's like your brain immediate is like is someone just trying to get us all collected outside right and it's horrible that you have to think that. Is there still a liaison officer at the school? Yep, one. Right. And he does a really good job and, and you know, works really hard to establish rapport and relationships with kids. But 
you know, that that's great as far as that goes, but typically the, you know, the people who come in and shoot up a school don't really, I don't think, have good relationships with anybody, so. Right, exactly. That's not who you're. Probably let alone the police officer. Right, exactly. <clears throat> I remember one year for training we had to, um, they brought all the teachers in. And a security specialist showed us footage from Columbine. Columbine. Like, I remember talking to Toward about that too, and he said it was fucked up. It was. I mean, there were teachers who got up and left the lumberjack room. It was just so horrifying to, to actually see it recorded. I mean, was the point of that to like. I still don't know what the point was. I mean, I think it was just part of a larger message of you know, school security and, like, here's what happened, here's how it went down, so, you know, what could we do differently or how could we respond in a similar... But, I mean, ultimately, it just... All I remember is just feeling like I was watching a snuff film. What it was. Right. And yet, I, I guess the other part of me is like, just like soldiers need to be put in situations where you know you just don't want to give somebody a gun and send them out to war. They gotta get trained. They gotta get you know. Right. So I, I suppose maybe there's a there's a reason to to show us. But again, I'm not a soldier. I don't have a gun, and I don't know how. I mean, we've we've. The training has changed, you know. Now I have Alice training, which we didn't do when you were there. When you were there, I think it was duck your head and pray for the best, you know. It was lock mm -hmm. the door, everybody go into the back corner of your room with the lights off and huddle there and just hope the gunman doesn't come into your room. Right. But if the gunman does, then you're all just sitting there like sheep for slaughter. So now we have a different... We used to use code words like, if there was a shooter in the building, there'd be a certain code. And so it was kind of like misinformation or mm. people, you're never sure if everybody knew if it was a drill or not. And so I will say, though, know, the Alice drill is, is pretty clear now in terms of they're going to alert you and tell you exactly what's happening and, if possible, tell you exactly where the gunman is. And then if you're not anywhere near, like if somebody's shooting up the gymnasium, there's no reason in the world why I should lock my door in the English department and keep kids in the room. Right. So I get them the hell out of the building. And, um, and even if they're outside your room, part of the Alice drill now is um, how to engage the attacker if they come in and what what you can use in your weapon to def or in your room as a weapon to defend yourself and hmm. but uh, is it I mean, doesn't it make your fucking brain hurt a little bit though like should you even have to fucking consider that you yeah, know what I mean like when, what fucking world do we live in where like yeah grab the flagpole off yep. the wall yeah and yet that's the world we live in you know 
And maybe that's the reason they showed us the video. Maybe just to drive home the point that, although it's probably not likely to happen, this is what it looks like when it happens. Yeah. But again, I don't know what any of those kids were, that they were popping in the library there. I don't, what were they supposed to do? I mean, disheartening. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, NRA can talk about a good guy with a gun all they want, but what about a fucking 60-year-old teacher with a fucking plastic chair? You know, like, fuck. (laughs) Is it snowing? Is that what I hear? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. It, like, it sounded a bit like rain earlier, but yeah. I think it's that just kind of like hard, r- hard snow, snow, yeah. Gropple, exactly. or whatever it's called. Gropple? Gropple. I've never heard that before. I think that's what it's called. Nice. Uh, learn something new every day. Well, there we go. Now this is where I will drop my phone. <laughs> and, uh, I hope not. Ask Siri. Define grapple. As a verb, it means engage in a close fight or struggle without weapons. No, it doesn't. That's grapple. <laughs> the, the, the world we live in, we're just both yelling at a phone person. <laughs> All right, here we go. Grapple, also called soft hail or snow pellets, is precipitation that forms when supercooled water droplets are collected and freeze on falling snowflakes, forming two to five millimeter balls of rhyme the term grapple comes from the German language hmm. the more you know <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I'd actually like to see a big musky come through here not that we could right. spear it but just it would be cool I know there's giants in this lake me and my uncle saw one six seven years ago and it it was on the fucking rail it really was i'd never seen anything like that i mean it, it was 20 pounds if it was an ounce like, you're just like what yeah, it's like this wide across the back you know it's like we just sat there looking at it like what the fuck did it just kind of glide into was it yeah it like- came from or no let's see he saw it he goes oh here comes one and it was over here and i put my spear in the water to get ready and then it swam into the hole, and I kind of did a double take, like, what? And he goes, oh, that's a muskie. So I was like, oh, yeah, it is. And it just, like, yeah, it just swam straight through, but, like, really, really slow. Like, it wasn't even moving, you know? It's like they just kind of drifted. It was just like, we got to watch the whole, you know, it's just like, oh. Well, we got to hear that musky story again. Like, I Maybe I hyped it up a little bit too much last year, but it's been recorded, passed on, and we're finally in the archive. And with that in mind, tune in next week to see if I manage to add another first-time spear to it. As always, follow along on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Stitcher. Give us a like and a share. Tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm KCT, and this is Going Up North. Okay.